Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today's guest, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I have the one, the only, Bradley Bayou on the show today. Bradley, I am so glad to see you, my brother. You're in Spain. Yeah, I am in Spain. <laughs> I'm doing a play for somebody in Barcelona. So I came over here for a month. I love that. I am so glad that you said yes to being on the show. This is so exciting for me. You know, I think that when we use the word artist, you are the epitome of that. You are an interior designer. You're a real estate developer. You're a fashion designer. You're an artist, a fine artist. And you've had enormous success in all of these disciplines, which is so amazing. And I want to break that all down. But for the sake of the audience, just take us through a quick trajectory as to what came first and how your background started in these disciplines. Well, it's really interesting. I was actually a professional child singer. Wow. And I sang, yeah, I played Oliver and I did play a mall and a mall high visitors. And I was with the Texas Boys Choir and I wanted to be an opera singer. And when I was 12, my parents said, no more singing. You can't Why? sing anymore. You have to be you have to be a doctor or a lawyer. Oh my God. They sent me down to tell me that. Because wow. I was convinced I'd be an opera singer. So I had a friend who drew and painted, and he was my best friend. And so I picked up a pen and started drawing, and I was a painter first. Wow. And I started selling work when I was 16 and showing when I was 20 and you know, all over the place. My parents, you know, said. Uh, I had my first child in Washington, D.C. I was working for the Senate then, in, on the Senate floor, which was interesting, yeah. and painting. And I went to a school called Skowhegan in Maine. And my parents came to see me. And when they saw my artwork, they thought I was nuts. <laughs> so they said, we'll, we'll pay for because you have first child, you have no money. You say, okay, you know, government wages. Sure. And they said, we'll send you to business school if you uh, move back to Dallas and quit painting. They did it again. Wow. So twice. <laughs> so my wife was like, oh, take it, take it, do it, do it. So we ended up going back. And at the age of 30, I left my life, basically, yeah. to start painting again in New York. And that's how, you know, I got back into painting. And instead of painting, I ended up painting a vest and wearing it to a party. And before I knew it, somebody stopped me and said, I know a buyer at this big store in L.A. He says, do you have other ones? And I ran down to the Salvation Army and bought old vests and painted them. And, and he came back. He said, they ordered all of them. And that's how I got started in fashion. Oh, my God. But now that you're would be bad. incredibly humble because your fashion name, you had an eponymous line, which was an incredible couture line. You dressed the likes of Beyonce and Oprah. And that was amazing. And then you became creative director of Halston. And I mean, that doesn't that doesn't come from painting a few vests. Oh, and he's so in right now. I know. <laughs> Talk me through that. That's extraordinary. Oh, it's a it's a crazy story because when I painted the vest, Neiman Marcus came to me because the vests were doing really well at Neiman's and other stores. They came to me yeah. and they said, "We're going to give you a we're going to give you a blank check to design women's clothes." 
And I didn't know what to do. It's a long story. But I ended up doing it and ended up being, you know, seven other store windows for Christmas. And my first collection was all the windows of Saks Fifth Avenue on Fifth Avenue, six big windows. <laughs> before I knew it, I didn't know what I was doing. But before I knew it, I was Bradley Bayou, you know, couture in wow. New York. And then Halston, when I was dressing Oprah and people, Halston came to me and asked me if I wanted to be creative director. I'm doing that really condensed version because it's a crazy story. Wow. So wait, are you part of that whole sort of like documentary and television series that's happening on Halston now? Well, the, the documentary, I'm in the documentary. Wow. <clears throat> but the series, they don't cover the people that, you know. That actually were there. That's right. right. Only the people that were there. Wow. And I, you know, it was really weird because I only saw him once. It was a Studio 54 in 78 when I was a kid. And uh, basically, I was driving back from Skowhegan, the art school, and stopped in New York. And my wife and I tricked our way in. Wow. And he was sitting there with Liza and a bunch of people. And so there was a booth on the dance floor. And she and I stood behind him and sat there like this, pretending we were part of his group. And that's his close. If he ever turned around and said, that guy is going to take my company one day. Oh, been my God. You have had this angelic sort of like guidance on your path of this amazing <laughs> career. So, but talk to me about building a brand, right? So many of the listeners on this show are really in the real estate industry. They're all trying to brand themselves and you've done it flawlessly. Sure. I mean, you've done it in so several, several few times. sectors. So what's the secret to building a brand in your opinion? I think what I learned really early on was everything has to be consistent. So I just do clothes and I do homes and I do a bunch of different stuff. And one thing about it, they're all consistent. That as you could tell, I did the houses and everything. And even my branding, like, you know, my uh, stationery or business cards looks like my brand. Everything's consistent and you can't break that. You can't just all of a sudden jump. So my brand is about clean, you know, simple, classic. And that's what it stays. It's always been that way. And so no matter what you think of when you think of my name, if you're looking, you'll see a consistency through the whole thing. So being consistent with your branding is really important. Like you dress a certain way, dress what you want to look like. Station, stationary, your business card has to have that same kind of vibe if it's clean. You know, if you're selling Cape Cod houses and, you're, and you want to look like that, you know, with sweater wrapped around your neck or whatever, be consistent with that. So your business card has that same sort of New England look to it. But don't jump ship because you, all of a sudden you'll break the brand and you'll confuse people. And once you confuse people, you don't get them back because your inconsistencies show through. I love that because that's important because that really resonates in really all sectors. When you think about be consistent, it means showing up, being there, doing what you say you're going to do and doing it in the manner right. in which your audience will receive it. Right, exactly. Right. So in order to keep that, keep your image in your mind, even with the properties you sell, yeah. So if you're selling, because I was, I have a broker's license and I used to sell yeah, those to my do. wife and I had a company and yeah. I did all the, those things. So we were really consistent about what it looked like, 
what our employees look like, how they dress, because it's all about the image. That's right. right. And also being really honorable and no lying is really important to a brand. Because once you damage your brand, you've damaged yourself. So, so no cheating, no lying, no everything straightforward. Be honest. Don't lead people. When you're showing properties, show the properties that they're asking for, not just something that you have in your back pocket or your listing you're trying to get rid of. Because yeah. they won't come to you again. Be consistent. You know, be transparent, right? And and you know, it's right. funny what they're saying. It's about sort of like that look. And when I first got into real estate, I came from banking, right? So all I knew was sort of like being that buttoned up suit corporate guy. And then I went to Miami to go sell right. real estate in 2005. And it was the fact that I was running what was one of the top teams in Florida. We became the, one of the top teams in Florida. And it was always the fact of you better be dressed right. You better not be, you know, because we are representative of what was a global clientele. So we were dealing with mostly European clientele coming into Miami. So we're not going to go out in flip flops and shorts. It's sort of like go home. It wasn't right. going to be my brand, but right, I, really, right, right. I didn't articulate it in that way. But that it's eloquently said, but it's, it's, it's all true. about I mean, being. Like, I think you dressed, you dressed differently in Miami. Yeah really nice but i'm sure you weren't wearing a gray suit with no, a tie. right because that's not what would appeal to people exactly and you had the brand and you have to be loyal if you're working for somebody who has a brand you have to be loyal to their brand that's right and you're like you know you have to represent them so don't think that you can break off from their image because it doesn't work and you just bring up a really interesting point I think location also creates part of that brand, right? And it's the fact that you're not going to dress the same in Miami than you would in New York when you were working in the finance industry. But you still would have a style and a professionalism about the way that you did that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so true. And that's a beautiful element that people really don't really think about. Location is part of your branding. Totally true. Yeah. And also, in my case, location of where my clothes were or where That's I designed. Right. Because my first store, I opened up at Robertson and Melrose. And those yeah. are two very well-known names in Los Angeles because I wanted to be visible there. So that way, location is important too. So talk to so me you about open your own now. shop, put it yeah. in the right place. Talk to me about culture now, right? So you had one of these amazing couture brands with your name. And then you actually did something that very few designers are able to do well, which was then go into a ready-to-wear line for your name on QVC that did phenomenally well as well. How did you keep the integrity of your brand in order to still appeal to your couture line and then go into QVC and also have great success with people that wanted to have a piece of what you had created for that celebrity clientele. Well, it's really true. And I was on top of my brand at QVC. Yeah. Uh, and I was still showing, you know, in the tents and everything, and, you know, and, uh, still considered a couture designer. And I kept that because people aspire. Yes. So what I wanted them to do was aspire to my brand. So when QVC came to me and said, we'd like you to have your own line on QVC, 
Uh, they said, what do you want to do? And I said, what's missing from QVC? Yeah. And they said, leather jackets. Nobody's doing it. So I did leather jackets. And at the time, leather was incredibly cheap. So I was doing lamb, beautifully done jackets for $150. But wow. the difference between me and other people was I was known for dressing Oprah and Latifah and Beyonce and even Longoria, all these different sizes. So my label carried all sizes. So it wasn't just for the size eight girl, yeah. up to size 12, which are all those things. I went to size 26 and I would have different fit models to make sure it fit everybody. And my reputation was great quality, well-designed, fits everybody. So all inclusive, incredibly important. So my fan base grew really fast because all of a sudden women that couldn't buy a leather jacket from a store could have a lamb or suede trench coat or whatever by me. My name was, I changed the name to Bradley. So it wasn't confusing. It wasn't Bradley right. by you, but kept the logo similar enough. And I dressed a certain way and my clothes had the same vibe. In fact, a lot of it was based on my own things that I had done at couture level. And so they had this feeling like for $150, I can have a jacket that fits me size 26 and it's great quality and looks great. And my reputation was so solid that, you know, because I appealed to everybody, but I delivered on my style and my taste critical. I didn't jump ship and do something totally different. You kept So they were buying me yeah. at an at affordable price. I was allowed to give everybody a chance to wear my clothes at an affordable price. And I love that. At Halston, yeah. we did a jeans line and we did a suit line that were affordable prices all the time doing a couture line, but it wasn't the same as QVC. It didn't reach that audience. It's almost, in looking back at the documentary on Halston, it was the moment that he wasn't involved anymore with the JCPenney thing, right? That's it's where right. the game did get compromised. Well, right. Holsch's problem, which isn't really clear from the movie, and I know a lot about him. Yeah, I know stuff. you do. <laughs> he would not allow, allow anybody to do any design for any of his, his luggage, whatever. He did it all. You can't do that. I yeah. know I couldn't do that. So I had other people, you know, under me do all the different licenses and all the different things I had. He couldn't deliver because he couldn't let any, he couldn't let go of the reins. He had over 30 licenses. He was the first to do it. You cannot design 30 lines of anything by yourself. It's impossible. Exactly. Right. That was his downfall. He couldn't deliver. It wasn't the fact that he sold the pennies. It was he couldn't deliver. Right. You know? Right. That's fascinating, actually. It talks about delegation as well, right? So, like, when oh, somebody... You know that. Yeah. When somebody grows yeah. their team... You can't micromanage right. a team because you can't grow. You have to empower and allow them their own strength to grow and deliver. And you know, when you give people a chance to do their thing, they perform much better than if you tell them everything. You call this person, you, no, let them go show you what they can do. They bloom that way. Yes, yes. Here's the goal. I don't care how you get there. Here's the goal. Show me how you get there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So when teams of people worked under me at different things, I would say, show me some. You know, I'm not going to design this. You show me what you can do. Exactly. And if it approved, it was approved by me, then it 
meant that it, 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 they knew me better. They were studying what I liked and what I did. That's right. I right, now let's talk. Let's shift to real estate because you have you. Let, I'm going to start with the development side because you've developed like 30 projects, I think, or more in your career. Now, when you look at something, right, and when whether you look at a project and you know where it is in its raw state, and you're looking at it almost from your artistic lens, and then you sort of see mm-hmm. what the final best product could be. How do you see that? Because that's also, to me, from your lens, it might just be looking at a blank canvas. How do you create a masterpiece, right? Well, if you're doing a reno, right? Yeah. The thing is you have to understand the bones of the house, right? And you have to consider What's the foundation like? What are the basics? How many walls do I have to knock out? The cost of it all. You have to consider if you could make a wall down here there that you can change the vibe of the house. Then you put your stamp on it by the design. But the floor plan is the, is the creative part. If you have a house that you can feel, you can knock a wall out and have a window or you can open it up somehow, especially the way people live now, thinking that way, then you have a real gem. If other people may not see it, Yes. But you have to see through it and understand, oh, I could do this and this. This totally changed my this house for that much money. Right. And that's how you do that. Now, building from scratch is a little more difficult because you're just looking for the property location. Right, right. And you need the location and you, and you need that kind of image, right? So you basically look for something that you talk to a lot of brokers and you say, what's the next area? Or, or what's the hot area right now, especially if the market's down. So what area can I buy in and get a deal? And I always get deals that way. That's I know right. the right brokers. That's right, you do. <laughs> I do. And so they tell you, this is a steal. And if you trust your broker, you look at it, and that's from ground up. So you have to really trust them that that location is going to do well. It, when you finish the project in a year, year and a half, that it's going to hold that and actually increase in value. So now so you have to be very about, aware of your market. That's right. Now you're talking about knowledge and networking. And again, yes, delegating and trusting others, right? Bringing others into the fold. Totally. Yeah. You have to. You have to trust people, but you definitely need to vet them. Oh, God, yes. Right? Don't <laughs> trust everybody. Oh, yeah. And don't trust everybody. So when I get an opinion about a property or something, I end up asking four or five brokers. Sure. You know, what do you think of this area? What's going to happen in this area? Which street is good? Which is not good? Are views really important? Are they not important? You know, is it about swimming pools? What is it that I need to make this house more valuable than it is now? Especially, you know, when you do renovations. Because you need to maybe add something here and there. Maybe just that trick in that one neighborhood that everybody is demanding. And you better talk to people that know that neighborhood really well before you put money into it. That's right. So tell me the greatest lesson you've learned in your career thus far, Bradley. Integrity, right? Oh, I love that. Your name mm-hmm. is your reputation. Don't screw it up. Don't rip people off. Don't think you're going to cover something up in bad construction. Don't. It's your name is attached to it. You screw that. You screw up your integrity and your name, your brand. Yeah. And you screwed yourself. And you think that one back. fast little that one fast little thing, that deal, you're gonna make a little bit extra money, but you think, oh, I might get caught doing this, or maybe I should have done this, or whatever. Think twice yeah. and don't do it. <laughs> be true okay. to yourself and be honest. Yeah. It takes a lifetime to build a reputation and a second to ruin totally. it. Totally. And one minute to destroy it. Yeah. 
So I've always had kept integrity. And I think even in the fashion business where a lot of people don't have integrity, I still have a really strong reputation. I've been asked many times for people to back me in my own line again. I just don't like the fashion business. Right. It's really hard. <laughs> it's really tough. And the people yeah. are generally pretty awful. Yeah. Okay? So I don't want to be in that business anymore. I find the real estate business better. That's right. You yeah. know? And I'm renovating houses for other people and I'm doing houses, building houses for other people now. So around the world. And so, yeah. And so for me, that's really fun too, to actually get paid for my ideas. You know what? I want to get into interior design now because that's actually where you and I first met. And we met about yes. five years ago and we had some mutual friends and we were at the Sotheby's uh, um, um, auction house and you had showcase a room for their showcase. Yeah. And it was, it, it was amazing. It was, I actually had just met you and we had, and we had a drink with some friends and you actually sort of said, see if you can pick my room out. And I had just met you and I picked your room out. And it was the idea that I already sort of knew your aesthetic by meeting you for five minutes. I knew that I knew you were dressed well, you were sharp, you knew that you had your clean lines. We had talked about sort of our mutual birthdays, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, but there was all other things of like, you know, I was doing my birthday in Argentina, you were doing yours in Palm Springs. And it was so much fun that we were talking right. about. I picked your room. It was. So, it was. So tell me, what is that process? I know that you said whether you do anything in fashion or in design or anything, everybody will sort of say, that's Bradley's. So what is that thing, that, that signature? That's a good question. Oh, you know what it is? It, it, it's function first. Mm. So when I'm dressing, somebody has to look good all the way around, 360. Yeah. It has to fit them well. Then I design it. Same with houses. So function of the house, critical. If I can't figure out how to make the house function, then I drop it. I'm not going to do wow. it. And then you make it work. You know, in other words, you you build it from the inside out, just like you would a corset for a dress or whatever. And then you decorate it, basically. You put the stuff that people are going to see first. You stage it. You yeah. do whatever it is, if you're selling a house or whatever, to give the look that you want, the vibe. And for me, it's international modernism and world view, kind of worldview. So everything's possible, but very simple, keeping it clean, simple, and elegant and classic. So yeah. my stuff, no matter what I've done, never goes out of stock. I did a house for myself in Palm Springs 21 years ago, and it was just published and on open house last year. Oh they gosh. thought it was a new job. <laughs> because it's timeless. And that's what I'm most proud of. When women come up to me and said, I bought one of your dresses 25 years ago, and I'm just, you know, I found it, and I'm wearing it again, and I got more compliments than I've ever gotten. And you go, that's what it's about. Not some fad. You know, I don't do fads. I do style. You're influenced yeah. by fads and stuff, but you maintain your own vision and your own feeling about what you like and don't like. It's a I gift too, because taste is a gift. Yeah, it's so true. You know, the idea of form and functionality, but taking it from either fashion to real estate to interior design, and it works. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And if it doesn't work, Michael, and people aren't buying it and you're not getting any any sales, houses, whatever it is, 
then you either need to get out of that business <laughs> or figure out what you need to do to change to exactly. make it sellable. That's right. The people That's come right. to you because they want to buy something from you. Because all I'm selling is ideas. That's right. right? So if my ideas are bad, no one's going to buy them. And luckily they buy them. <laughs> they do. They do. <laughs> but you know what? I also want to talk about what's behind it, right? Because you make it look simple. And I actually want to talk about what your, your, your birthday, for example, though that I was so lucky to be invited to. And it was a few years ago uh, when we first met. And it was the idea of details. You had done a 60s themed birthday party and the amount of details was extraordinary. I think you had 150 guests, but you had 100. 300. 300. And you, had, and you had 150 extras or something that you had hired to At sort of least go around and fill the scene up. Yes. And as yes. everyone was going to these different vignettes, your audience was part of a show. And it was the most extraordinary thing. There was no detail that was left undone. You know, you rented a house. You went like, it was the most insane thing. Tell me, well, tell people about that party because this is now like, this, this was so epic. Well, and it was my 60th birthday. So I thought 60, 60, and my partner's birthday. So he was turned 60 something. And uh, we decided to have a 60s party. Now, where is the perfect place for season? It'd be Hollywood or it would be Palm Springs, right? So my idea was take an old house to Palm Springs. It was actually Leonardo DiCaprio had bought this house, but it was like a major 60s estate in Palm Springs that had been totally restored on three acres. So I decided- The dinosaur estate. The dinosaur estate, yes. And what would I do to this party to make it feel like you're really at a 60s party? First, it had to be a costume party. Right. People had to get dressed up. Second, I had makeup and hair people do people's women's hair at the hotel. So they didn't have to put it there to give them real 60s vibe. I wanted the whole thing 60s. And then I hired with uh, Ben Bourgeois was my party planner. With Ben, we hired a bunch of actors to play out scenarios of things that would happen in 60s Hollywood. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. I mean, there was a oh, script writer attacking a secretary and there was two yeah. gay boys in one bedroom it was hush hush and then there were uh, the, the synchronized swimmers oh my god yes in the pool and then there were things action taken on police arresting people in the front yard cars 60s cars 1960s police cars up. the policemen giving tickets and they're drunk blonde girl with a girl on her own and just the whole thing from the minute you walked in the paparazzi before you got and they, they took everybody's picture like it was paparazzi. And then and, who was uh, the 60s performer you had? <laughs> so the, I love, listen, I do this in interior design too. Don't yeah. show it all up front, right? <laughs> Don't open the door to a house and see everything. Yeah. Hide things. Make it fun. It right? was discovery. Have, always discovery. So in my case, in the party, walking to the house and discovering people in rooms that were doing things, they were actors. Yeah. Or, you know, walking into the backyard and seeing these giant ice sculptures and the bathing beauties, one surprise after the other. I didn't stop. 
I do the same thing with houses. Turn the corner around the house, you're going to find another surprise. Yeah. You don't even see the backyard most because you have to turn around and see it again. You see something surprising. It really captures that sort of surprise. I do it in fashion too. The front of the dress looks one way. She turns around. You can't believe it's the same person. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Because most guys look at girls when they turn around, not when they're facing them. <laughs> so my idea was give them something to remember. Oh my so the party God. Was, so yes, I steered everybody. We turned the tennis court into a nightclub. And uh, then we had a surprise guest. And most people thought it was a drag queen at first. <laughs> but it was, it was the Diana Ross. Probably one of the first concerts she's done in a long time. It was, that was extraordinary. I mean, you know, I still have that video somewhere on my phone where people just started screaming when they figured out Everybody. that it was her for such an, an intimate audience. It was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. I had no press. I didn't cover it. I didn't want any press. I didn't want anything. I wanted it as a gift to my friends, right? Our friends. And, and because was this was my his 60th birthday party. You know, the best thing you do is give people yeah. this experience. Yeah. And that's what that was about. And that's really when it comes to just the small details and giving to others. And that really is such a beautiful part of who you are. And that's really just fantastic. So, so tell me, are you painting now? What are you doing with the painting? Well, during COVID, you know, business gets real slow because people didn't want me in their house. Right. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> but I had clients, and you know, a lot of them I had to fly to see, and I was like, going, I'm not kidding. My plan. Yeah. So all those jobs went on hold, and I'm originally a painter, right? That's right. how I got into this all. So I turned my studio, half of it, into an art studio, and I painted for six months and sold some painting, believe it or not. And people it. were asking me, I mean, I was even considering doing a show. Uh, but I'm going to put that on hold right now because you can't be everything. You've got to focus. I have other projects I'm doing now. I know, know one in television, and I'm writing another book. I have one book called Out Science of Sexy. My second book will come out next year. And uh, I'm actually working on the book here in Spain as well. Oh, I love so that. So it gave me a place to get away from everybody. I bet. And just think and write. Yeah. Yeah. So I have it was great because we're on opposite time. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got one final question for you, Bradley. In your like book of life, what's this chapter called? I would say never give up. I like that. You know, I reached this age, I'm in my 60s, and I kind of at first, oh, you know, my father retired soon thereof. And most people say, oh, you're too old, but it's a different world now. Yes, it is. And I find more things coming to me now than almost ever opportunities. And instead of going, no, no, I can't, I'm too old or I'm not relevant. Keep yourself relevant. Read everything. Know what's happening everywhere from pop culture to politics. And, and fashion and whatever, I read everything and stay relevant and don't give up. Just keep going. I love that. Bradley, it is so wonderful to see you. I'm so glad we reconnected. Yeah, me too. Thank you for being a guest on the show. You're so welcome. You're amazing. It's great to see you. It. You too. And I'll see you in New York in a month. We will. We'll see each other. Definitely. Then. A lot of fun. Enjoy Spain. My mother's from Spain. It's a beautiful country. I know. It's uh, it's stunning. Yeah. 
So thank you. And thank you all thank of you. you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Thank you.